Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Hey guys, we're excited to jump into another chapter of Exodus with you. Um, Exodus chapter six today. Before we do that, we are going to throw it back to some, an, an older thing that we did, um, the highs and lows, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of being real with talking about our week and, and something that, is really good that has happened in something or just how we have felt that is just has been tougher. Um, it's just a way to kind of really, it helps me personally to kind of reflect on my week. And it also, I think is good to just be honest about these things Yeah, that, um, some things are really good and some things are a little harder. Um, so do you want to go, you want to share highs and lows? We didn't really talk about Yeah. That. Uh, I can go first. You want okay. to do uh, lows? First. Sure. We'll so start. we can end on a high note. High note. note. Sorry. Yeah, anyways. Uh <laughs> so I would say uh low for this week. Um was definitely I so we went and played at the East Brainerd playground. Um and I you know, uh Melissa was pulling a bunch of weeds and stuff out there because after the tornado that we had it's you know kinda it's been overgrown and nobody's been using the playground and stuff like that. And so Melissa was pulling a bunch of stuff while I was watching the kids like a hawk. And, (laughs) and I pulled, I probably pulled one weed and it turned out to be poison ivy. And so I, my like body is covered in poison ivy this week and I have just been itching and scratching and oh my goodness it just drives me crazy i had i i get poison ivy really badly it just spreads like wildfire on me well it was kind of funny about it is i said garrett is this i yeah. is this poison ivy i walked up to i probably him. didn't even pull the weed she probably handed it to me <laughs> and said is this poison ivy and i took it and then now i had have poison ivy all over my chest and neck and stuff yeah. like my beard gets into it and it yeah. hurts apparently i'm not allergic to it because yeah. i for sure touched plenty of it and yeah. just didn't didn't get anything um i've never had it before so i just thought maybe i hadn't run into it but you would have thought with like hiking and stuff that i would have at some point but. yeah but i haven't i haven't had poison ivy that bad in a long long time um, yeah. And then, and then also, I would just say in general, and me and you were talking about this this evening, um, of that, you know, I, I feel like there's just some days that I just end, I end the day and I just feel, for whatever reason, I, I just feel guilt, like I feel guilt um, that has just kind of built up over, like I don't feel like I've done enough or I've worked hard enough at something and I just feel guilty about the day or I feel guilty about something. I I feel a tremendous amount of guilt all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we were talking about it. It's just like this afternoon, I was just kind of like allowing myself to be freed of that, of that guilt. Um, and just saying, you know what, like I really, I, I've worked hard and I've, I've done the best that I can at these things. Like I have to let this stuff go. And, you know, and that was really freeing. Um, and it, like I could, I, I could just feel like the the sense of freedom that was like on the other side of releasing that guilt. And I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say that I've like totally gotten rid of it, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah. I could, I, I was able to kind of glimpse something on the other side of it where it's like, man, if I could just, if I could find a way to let this go, uh, it, man, I can feel how good it would be and how good it would feel. And so that's something that I struggle with and something that I'm trying to work through. 
But and we were also talking is like guilt's not necessarily a bad thing. It's something that you know it, it, it that actually makes us do better at certain things. Whenever we're like, oh, you know, like I spent a lot of time doing this, you know, messing around on this today instead of doing X, Y, or Z mm-hmm. that would have been productive or whatever. So like the guilt kind of pushes us in a good direction, and so it can be a healthy thing. Um, but the whenever it starts ruling you, like whenever you give power over to it, it starts to take over and it becomes something very unhealthy. So it's like, how do we, I mean, this is something that I'm working on is like, how do I figure out how to harness things like that? How do I harness guilt and not let it rule me and not let it become my master, but something that allows me to reflect and you know, figure out how to do better, but not let it overrun me. The same, the same is true of like fear, you know, fear is a very healthy thing to have unless it rules you, unless it's your King. And then whenever that happens, then it's like your, your whole life is dictated by it. And where something that's kind of innate in you, that's a very good thing that generates good responses, uh, for things that you prepare and that you, that we, we work on things and, you know, that we save up and things like that the good responses that come out of it, then the, they turn into something that's just like, I, I actually don't have faith in, it feels like I don't have faith in God. And sometimes whenever I let those things rule me, you yeah. know, they become my King. And well, so, I think we kind of talked about too, how it's interesting that like some people don't probably don't feel enough guilt about mm-hmm. things, you know, yeah. and just like run wild and just don't feel guilty about anything and that's not really healthy either. Right. And and then I think both of us are more on this other extreme about where we feel guilty about everything, even when no one is doing anything to try to make us feel guilty. Right. It's just like a thing within ourselves of we have a certain like expectation for ourselves, and mm-hmm. when we don't meet it, we feel guilty about it. Right. And and maybe those things are sometimes contributed by things that people have said to us but it's not necessarily like their fault that we're feeling guilty right um and so it's finding that balance and i think for me i i mean just with anxiety in general it's kind of a similar thing of like just not letting that rule me yeah um and so as far as i i was trying to think about lows for this or a low for this week and I really couldn't think of a specific event. And I think it's just, I occasionally just have like this flow of anxiety that kind of comes through me, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and it kind of reminds me of the guilt thing that you're talking about. And it just, it sometimes impacts the way I react to things. Like I am... I might get frustrated more easily with the kids or with you or, you know, just whatever. Um, and so I I didn't really have a specific thing this week. I just sort of, I just always am kind of dealing with that, trying mm-hmm. to overcome. And, and there was something that I thought about this week where it was like trying not to let five minutes of, of bad rule over the rest of my day Mm -hmm. that just because I have a few moments where I'm feeling anxious or something's not going right that that doesn't have to define my whole day that I can turn it around and have a good day from there on out and when I when I do get more anxious I tend to not take care of myself as well and then you kind of spiral out of control Yeah. yeah and so I have been struggling with that more lately as far as like um, I haven't been exercising as consistently. And so just trying to, I wouldn't even like call it a deep funk. It's just kind of like this motivational thing that just this little bit of anxiety can cause me to not feel as motivated to do things that I feel like I should be doing, which then in turn leads to that guilt. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I eat because I'm unhappy and I'm unhappy because I eat. Right. You know, <laughs> it's the endless cycle. So of that. that's kind of, that's kind of where my mind went with that. Um, as far as highs go though, I would say, um, we had the opportunity to go to a pool party for, um, the young adult and college group. And, um, the kids just had the best time 
we had a great time. It yeah. was it was so nice to see people that we haven't seen in a while. And um, just with COVID and everything, feeling like it's hard, especially as a parent, to like you're making decisions on behalf of your kids and and trying to do the right thing in terms of keeping them safe, but also not being like irrational, crazy, worrying about things. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just a nice thing that I liked that it was, you know, we were able to be outside and, and not worry about COVID so much. And they just, both of our kids just had the best time. Yeah. And and they love, they love the at group and, you know, all of them just treat them like their own kids. And so that, that's a big deal to us as parents, you know, you want to, it, it really fills your heart up to see other people love your kids, you know, and that it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we love our kids, but mm-hmm. it just fills us up even more to see other people loving on your kids and, you know, that they have, they have people that, you know, Caleb's like, you know, these are my best friends, you know, he's, mm-hmm. it, when we had Bible study, you know, every week at, you know, on Thursday nights, um, before all the COVID mess, you know, he looked forward to that. I mean, that was something he looked forward to every single week. He would ask, yeah. is it Bible study night? Is it Bible study night? Yeah, just, just to see his people. I mean, because they were his people. And so that that kind of stuff it really fills your heart up. Um, yeah, and so it was it was fun for us. It was uh, an easier way, I think, for us to take, to, considering having the kids with us, it was an easier time with them being in the water with us and everything. And, yeah. And to where we could actually kind of talk to other people too and not just be like you know making sure they're not getting into things or yeah. whatever um so that was it was just a lot of fun and yeah i'd say my my high for this week was actually tonight um we so uh as i was finishing up with work uh you know melissa was like hey you know we need we're gonna go get let's go get some pizza and go to the playground and let's just you know eat and uh, enjoy the evening, which we've been doing, uh, you know, just about every Friday now that we just go kind of picnic kind of thing and go to the, um, go to the playground. And, uh, as we were getting ready, I looked at my watch and, uh, and, you know, you've got like the weather stuff on your watch. And I was like, it's saying, you know, like 40, 40% chance, 30%, 30% chance of, of thunderstorms. Are you sure you wanted to, it should, and Melissa was like, it, it's just 30% chance. It's not that big of a deal. You know, like you just basically, she was just like, you need to shut up. We're going to go have fun. And, I sound uh, <laughs> just like that. That's the best impression ever. And so, uh, I was like, I, you know, I don't know, but you know, I trusted my wife. And, uh, and I I was, I was faithful to her and I, I put my faith in her and we went and got, got pizza and we, we no more than get to the picnic table that's at the church. Which by the way, this picnic table was covered before, like where there was a, uh. Was pavilion. Oh, there was a thing. pavilion there, but the pavilion got blown away by the tornado, so right. no pavilion. There. So no pavilion. We're sitting at the. We know more than put the pizzas on the table, and the I see the first sprinkle hit the cardboard box of the pizza, <laughs> and I was like, "It's about to. It's gonna rain on us." And so we ate a few pieces of pizza, and then it was just a torrential downpour, and we go underneath the carport at the church building. And, uh, man, and Caleb and Sadie just had a blast playing in the rain. And, you know, you just for, you forget what that's like as a kid. And you, you, I remember that as a kid playing in the rain and that type of stuff and the joy that you feel with it. Just, I I don't know, I get, I've been singing in the rain kind of thing. (laughs) There's a song about it. Um, but you know, to just to see their joy of doing that and running around with each other and Sadie following Caleb around and doing everything that Caleb does. And he's just having a blast in this torrential downpour. I mean, uh, it was like raining sideways. We were standing in the middle underneath this pretty, I mean, it's pretty wide yeah. carport thing. And uh, I was still getting like misted yeah. on. So I was like joking that I was like, out you know chasing storms or hurricane <laughs> meteorologist yeah, yeah you kind of have that meteorologist <laughs> thing like where you're wearing that rain jacket that yellow rain jacket and you're leaning into the wind yeah just, and so it was kind of like that. standing but the but, but the kids had a blast and you know and I put to Caleb I put Caleb to bed tonight and 
I said, what, you know, what was your favorite thing about today? And he was like, I loved, I loved playing in the rain. Um, and what else did he say? Uh, oh, and the ice cream. And he loved the ice cream. And whenever it had finished raining, um, I noticed out off in the clouds, you know, there was a rainbow. There was a beautiful rainbow. Um, wasn't full or anything like that. It's just like standard, what you typically think of when you actually see a rainbow. You, Not the full scale, you know, thing. But Caleb had never, I don't know that he's ever seen a rainbow before. I don't before. know that he has either. Yeah, you know, we, we've shown him stuff and you had him do the, the stickers. And yeah. like, so he put stickers on a piece of paper and she wrote, you know, uh, God keeps his promises or something like that on that piece of paper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so whenever I saw the rainbow, I pointed it out to him. He was like, oh, that's awesome. And I said, what, you know, what does that mean kind of thing? And he said, it means that God keeps his promises. And so, you know, that means a lot to me to hear that from him, to know that that's being instilled in him. And I got like a little video of him kind of saying that. It was just that. You know, we love rainbows because rainbows teach us that God keeps his promises. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a lot of what we've been talking about with this and what the story um, with Exodus is doing. God's like reminding his people, I am the God that keeps my promises Mm -hmm. and I'm going to continue to keep my promises. And that's going to be the struggle of this chapter, too, of them struggling to believe that, you know, that believe that he's the one that keeps his promises. So whenever I hear Caleb say that, it brings a lot of joy. Um, to my heart. Yeah, for um, sure. So. Um, so with that said, we're going to move on to, um, we also, last week we heard from Sarah um, in her scripture. And um, this week her husband, Carter, has um, provided us with his favorite scripture. All right, so here's Carter. This is one that has come and gone with me, but it's always kind of been in the back of my mind. Um, and that is John 3.30. It's a very simple verse. Uh, and it states, he must become greater, I must become less. For me, it's it's always been a symbol of um, being selfless and, and putting others above myself and um, just giving that ability for, for me to do things for others instead of always looking inward. Um, and Jesus was a perfect example of that. He always put others' needs before his himself, obviously. And, um, you know, the, the biggest example of that was, you know, taking all our sins and shame and putting that on the cross and giving us the ability to be forgiven. And uh, I think that's just a huge verse that's so simple in its meaning, but yeah, it has a big impact on us. So just want to say, I I really appreciate Carter sending um, this in and um, his willingness to to share with us. Um, Just want to highlight with it. I I totally love, I love this verse as well as to how it speaks to, what we should be like in response to Jesus. And you know, you've got John the Baptist who, I mean, Jesus would say at other points, he's like, there's, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist, you know, like that's the way that he viewed him. And he says like, Hey, but if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of, you know, God, you know, you've got to be even better than that, you know, kind of thing. I, um, I don't know the specific verses for that, but it's like, you, you know, he, he thinks very highly of John the Baptist. And, um, the idea that, that John here, John's disciples are getting frustrated with the idea that they're leaving him to go to Jesus. And it would be easy, I think, to, to maybe be frustrated, you know, because like, uh, we want to be followed by people and we want, I mean, we kind of have that, that's what social media is all about. Um, whenever Instagram, it's like counting how many followers you have and things like that. I mean, John's got this whole slew of followers that have that have gone out into the desert with him, and he's baptizing them in the Jordan, and this is all symbolic of, and actually, this is all symbolic of what's happening in the Exodus right now and what we're studying. But this is saying, you know, there's a new Exodus that's coming, and they're doing this Jordan River baptism that's symbolizing that. And... Anyway, so he's got this big following, and his disciples are frustrated almost for him. That it's like it seems like this other di- what what's going on with this other guy, and he is, um, you know, he's so he's very humble in his response, and he's just like, you know, th- the time has come, and and it's now here that I was sent before somebody and that somebody is going to be the deliverer and he's going to be the one that, I mean, he's the groom, he's the bridegroom. 
And now, you know, therefore this is my, or this joy of mine is now complete is the way that he describes it right before verse 30. And he must increase and I must decrease. And this idea of that we are submitting to Jesus and saying, you know, like, I want you to be, uh, even if I become nothing, if you, if you are exalted, then that's everything. And I think that this is something that's really hard for all of us. Like, um, I am not somebody who likes to be the center of attention, mm-hmm. like to the extent that like Garrett knew when he was proposing to me, he better not have anybody around cause I wouldn't want all the attention that would be drawn on me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that he, he knew like, oh yeah, the middle of a restaurant or like a big crowd where people might clap or something wouldn't be good. And so it's not necessarily that this is only a struggle for people who, like this i this idea of being the center of attention or 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 liking um just like to really like i don't know you kind of think of this as being like a puffed up person maybe mm-hmm. um but i think that this is this is more than that because this is actively seeking becoming less and elevating other people and accepting because even though i don't like to be the center of attention i still want to be recognized, um, or maybe not recognized, but just affirmed in the things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to really elevate others and ultimately point to God in all things and not, you know, and make yourself less and not wanting any credit for those things, I think is something that on some level we all struggle with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we want we want that credit. And it, he just seems so willing to give it up. Mm-hmm. Um and allow allow Jesus to just come in, like to come in and now do his thing. Mm-hmm. Um and he and he very much decreases and then you know, the rest of the story is about is about Jesus and what he's doing. And I love how Carter mentioned just, you know, he, he was like, I know this is a simple verse, simple and short. And I think sometimes, though, we really, we need these short verses that we can just, like, quickly memorize and have in our heads to repeat in our minds over and over to really kind of, like, ingrain yeah our minds with Scripture of these quick things. I think that's, like, a lot of times with, like, Micah 6.6, 6, we kind of, it's just, like, you know, we make it kind of the three bullet points right. of, you know, like seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And like, that's, that's how our minds work mm-hmm. and that's how we can really get scripture in our heads. And so I think yeah. I, I really appreciate the acknowledgement of like, yeah, one of my favorite verses is super simple. And I think it's because it comes to your mind so quickly and, and it, and it does have so much power behind it. Yeah. I think this is definitely something that you could learn how to, you mean know, just, be repetitive about it. Say it over and over and over and over again. Almost liturgical style where it's like, I, I, just, I just say this all the time. The same mm-hmm. way that the Jews would say the Shema every morning. Morning and evening, they would say the Shema and it would become ingrained in them. That was the idea to it, the where it would be, become part of who they are. Mm-hmm. And so to say if, you know, this could be something that you repeat to yourself over and over again. You're like, he must de- increase and I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. To try to help you with your own pride, yeah, um, and and recognizing that it's not about you, it's not about you know. For me, it's it's not about whether or not I'm I have, um, you know that I'm built up or whatever, or that people think I'm awesome at whatever mm-hmm. whatever it is that I'm doing. And I think deep down, sometimes I like I'm very much uh, seeking that sometimes, and this idea of like repeating that so that it can become part of who you are. Yeah, I, just I can keeping very much that in that. check. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, you know, I, I think we are, so to, to kind of transition a little bit to Exodus chapter six, I think we're in a place where, you know, Moses is, is, and, and really the Israelites are in a place where they're, you know, they realize that they can't do this by themselves. And, and honestly, they think that it can't be done at all. At this point, so if we go back to to Exodus chapter five, um, everything that just happened is they you know they've gone they've gone to Pharaoh and Pharaoh has just made their life miserable, 
even more so than it was before. So Moses went and did all the things that he said that God told him to do, uh, went before Pharaoh, and everything just got harder. And um, and so you can feel the Israelites and Moses like feeling smaller and smaller and smaller through the chapter through chapter five, to the point where they're just completely despondent. You know where they're just they feel like everything is against them, and that God has almost kind of set them up is what they feel like, and so they're becoming less. And then now in this chapter, we're gonna see God's statement that's like I'm about to increase, and they're gonna Pharaoh's gonna decrease and I'm gonna increase, um, although unwillingly, not not quite mm-hmm. like John the Baptist. <laughs> Uh, but regardless, that's what happens. <laughs> you, you know, it's kind of like you get in line with it. You either do it willingly or it just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and maybe that doesn't sound great, um, but that's just the sheer fact of whenever we come in contact with the holy and righteous God that he is, uh, whether we like it or not, we decrease and he increases. Um, it's better to be like Isaiah or um or like Moses uh then like Pharaoh where you like are trying to resist it until you can't withhold that power <laughs> you can't withstand it um which is what's going to transpire as we go through the rest of this so that's kind of where we are where they their lives have been made harder uh and we pick up we're going to we're going to back up just a little bit just to continue the dialogue so that we can see how it flows yeah it kind of stopped but, at like a yeah but where what? we ended last time is just Moses Moses is coming to him and saying I don't understand you know I thought I thought I was doing what you told me to do and so here I am and you've just made our lives harder you can see his frustration and you don't really know I mean and I'll talk about this and then we can hear it as we read it um you know we don't know if it's like did he did he pray to him? Did he have some interaction with God? You're not really given that. Uh, this is uh, what Peter Enns writes in his his commentary. He says we are struck once again by the fact that the biblical biblical writer is not concerned to tell us the details of the circumstances around this conversation. What is vital is simply that the uh, is simply the fact that the conversation takes place and what is said. And so I think it's just. I think we look for details sometimes. We want more. But the point is, is that Moses had this conversation with God. And I think whenever we're frustrated, we don't understand why we're put in the situations we are. I think God still wants us to come to him, even with our frustrations, even though it sounds really bad the way that he's talking to God. You know, he sounds really frustrated and he's just like, why have you done this? Why have you created this problem? And even in that situation, it seems like God still wants us to come to him, even saying that type of stuff. So that, I mean, and he can work with us. And I think that's essentially what's going to happen here is that, you know, God responds to just a person that even comes to him, even though it's not like a, oh, you're still the greatest. You know, like, I think we think of prayer all the time as supposed to be something that's continually exalting God. Um, and, and I think at the heart, like that's where we want to get to, but most of the Psalms, or I, I don't know if it's most of the Psalms, but a lot of the Psalms are like, why am I here? And that's what's going on here is that, I mean, he's, he's, if he's not praying, he's at least talking with God, uh, person on a personal level, uh, and letting him know how he feels about the situation that he's in. And I think God wants that from us. So you yep. want to pick this up? Oh, it, oh, I'm going to read it. I forgot about yeah. that. Uh, so I'm going to pick up uh, in chapter 5, um, verse 22. I'm going to go through what? 6-5. Uh, okay. So, and Moses returned to Yahweh and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble to this people? Why ever did you send me? And from the time I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have certainly not delivered your people. You can hear the accusation that's going on here. So, Here's Yahweh's response. And Yahweh said to Moses, Now now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, because with a strong hand he will release them, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. And I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Shaddai, or El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. And 
I not only establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings, in which they dwelt as aliens, but I also, I myself, heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are making to work, and I remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh. Go ahead. Uh, you want me to stop? Sorry. Yeah, verse 5. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, you just, you hear the power of what God is bringing here. Um, and he says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. And it's the sense of that I've been waiting for this moment, that this is what's been coming. Um, and, you know, it feels, you feel very frustrated with it, but this is what it's, you know, it's been building up and bo- coming to this boil. It's like a, you know, a watch pot never boils mm-hmm. kind of thing in that you, you feel like it's taking forever to get there. But once like you got that eye on high kind of thing and you, you're watching this water, it's not changing whatsoever. Unless you touch it, then you can feel it's getting hotter. But if you're just watching it, nothing really seems to change about it. And then all of a sudden it is just bubbling over. Right. And so I think, I think that's kind of what's happening here is that it's, it's been escalating, escalating, escalating. He let them go to him to Pharaoh and Pharaoh responds with this very hard, you know, with no, with no interaction from God, you know, to make him do it that way. He's obviously very, still very hard. And he's like, all right, now is the time you've seen what he's like. You've seen his response. You've seen that you can't do anything about it. Now watch, now watch me, watch what I'm about to go do. And so I I think that's kind of what the the interaction that he's having here. So so far, like to this point, a lot of this, sounds very similar to what we've already heard in um I guess chapter three um when he's first talking to Moses about what's going to happen and as we keep reading we'll kind of continue to hear that a lot of this it sounds like what God has already um said to said to Moses mm-hmm. um and so the the part that I thought was interesting here is in verse three, um, where he says, But my but by my name the Lord I did not make myself known to them. Or by my name Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. And you mentioned like in your version it it has in mine has a footnote of him being called El Shaddai. So mm-hmm. do you want to kind of go into that and find yeah. the differences? Yeah. So there's some there's some things going on here that you need to be aware of. In Genesis, it, Yahweh's all throughout Genesis. And it's not something that the the forefathers, the, the, the patriarchs didn't call him. He called them Yahweh. Uh, whenever you go read Genesis, you can see that happen. What what it tends to be, I think, is that like whenever they meet him in person. He, they call him El Shaddai by name. When they have, when there's a vision of him, whenever he has a dream, he's they call him by Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, you know, so it's not that Yahweh hasn't like that particular quote name hasn't been known. Um, what seems to be going on here? And, and El Shaddai is God Almighty. That's what that means. Um, that it's a it's a it's a title, not so much a personal name. Yahweh being a more personal name of, of of God, so he's that that's going on. But I I think the point in this seems to be to me that it's not that they didn't know him as Yahweh by like that particular name. It's that they didn't know him to this depth of a level. Um, it's like um, so the example that that me and you talked about mm-hmm. was that it's like okay somebody may know me as Garrett. You a lot know. of people. Yeah, a lot of people know me as Garrett. Uh, but if if somebody called me Greedo, you know, only only like a handful of people, you know, know me as Greedo. Yeah. And and so there's a backstory to it. You know, that was like my username. It started with G, calling me G-Ret um, in high school, and then that turned into like a username on Xbox. And then that... And then people called me instead of G Ret on Xbox. They called me Greedo. They just and so, were trying to read and it. So, and so then yeah. there was a group of people that I play, you know, that I play games with and stuff, and that you know I played a lot with youth youth group members and stuff. That um, they started calling me Greedo, and so that I became call him Greedo you call sometimes. me Greedo all the time. 
And so that became like a personal name that only, you know, certain people knew. And so it shows, like it showed that they knew me at a deeper, a deeper level, not just by knowing the name. Right. But by like what was behind the name, having that story and having that feel let me know that you knew me at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And you know that you you knew that I was the greatest player in the Turd Clan. Uh, uh, that I was the best Call of Duty <laughs> player in the Turd Clan. Um that that oh. it showed that you knew that, right? And so um anyways, th- I think it's just saying that like you now know me. I'm going to show you and reveal myself to you in a deeper way than the patriarchs ever knew. And I, I think that seems to be the point behind this. Not so much like um, the name itself as much as what the, the story and the power and the the personality and character behind the name that matters more. That he's saying, I'm revealing myself in a more full way to you than I ever did to the patriarchs. So it's like this slow build of, as we go through the scriptures, we we are revealed more and more of who who God is. And mm-hmm. and that comes to its climax in the person of Jesus, right? I mean, like we see we see God in a more full way, in a more revealed way through the person of Jesus than we we have pre- previously. He is the the climax of it and the the true revealed person of Yahweh. And so it's like this this build of how we see more and more of Yahweh as these scriptures are developed and how how we read this story as a cohesive story that leads to Jesus, you know. Um, so I, I think that's what's going on with the, with the name there. Do you have any more thoughts about this section? Yeah. I, so just, uh, I'll, I'll note this, um, with, this is Peter Enns' um, commentary on this. He says, now it's God's turn to act. Um, or so I'll, I'll back up. We have already seen what Moses has done. We have also seen what Pharaoh, the anti-God figure has done. Now it is God's turn to act. God's response to Moses recalls three prominent elements of the previous conversation. I am Yahweh. That's repeated, uh, I think, four different times in this. I am Yahweh. I am the God of the patriarchs, and I have heard your complaint. And so he's he's saying, I've heard you, I'm with you. And and one thing uh, that sticks out to me in this little section, and I think uh, at the end of five, it says, but also I myself heard the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are making you uh, to work, and I have remembered my covenant. And so that's key words. Remembered my covenant. This has happened before. This has happened in the story of Noah. In that, you know, he has this covenant with Noah, or, uh, you know, that has this relationship with Noah, and it says that while they're on the ark, he remembered them, and that's whenever everything receded, right? And so the idea here isn't, again, this, this just, this knowledge of the covenant, it's that he's saying, I'm going to, fuf- like, I'm going to start, this is now when I'm going to act on it. I'm going to fulfill the covenant. I'm mm-hmm. going to, um, I'm going to be that, uh, in that role of this covenant keeper. I'm the God that keeps my promises, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what he's highlighting to them and saying, I've remembered you. I've not left you. I'm still here and I'm about to do my thing. So. All righty. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pick up in verse six. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Yeah. So when I, you know, this continuation is, um, it's still reminding me of what he originally said to Moses yes. in, um, in chapter three. And uh, I think as, 
if, if I try to put myself in Moses's position or even just the Israelites position, I'd be like, you're still talking. You're still saying the same things and yet we don't see anything happening. I I feel like this would not be like I, I feel like Moses really is in between a rock and a hard place here of like reporting kind of things that God's already said mm-hmm. and not really having any information necessarily on what God is going to do specifically. And I think there have been times where me and you have been frustrated when we feel like, you know, people say they're going to do something, but then they never actually take action on that. Mm-hmm. And that leads to frustration, yeah. obviously. Um, in any situation, if somebody tells you they're going to do something and then they don't, you know, that's an expectation that's not met. And so you're just, you're left feeling a little disappointed. And so I, I feel like I don't, I don't want to give Moses or even the Israelites too hard of a time for responding this way. They are in the depths of their slavery. Things are as bad as they've ever been. And I think it's kind of a natural response for them to be like, you know, at this point, just kind of feeling frustrated and maybe a little hopeless, even though God is still with them, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just not seeing that action yet. And I, I, I feel like God is still being patient with them, though, too, in that he's not just like, he's not just like, why don't you trust me that I'm going to handle this? Right. You know, he's he's still being patient with them. But I think it's all just part of like, we kind of talked about it last time of just this whole timeline thing of like not understanding God's timing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what the Israelites are ultimately struggling with here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think... um yeah, we we probably think that God is like, wait, tr- trust me first, and then I'll do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's how we or or obey me first, and then we'll do then I'll do something. And I I wonder if this, you know, this story is like God is doing something first. He's he's showing them grace first, mm-hmm. um, and then the response to that is obedience. Is that then he you know because of his grace, then they're obeying. And that's the way that's the way it's always worked. Um, that I think we kind of get it in our head that it's like, oh, well, God gave them the law so that they could obey it, and then out of response to that, then He would be faithful to them. No, He was faithful first, and then the response was that they responded of like, oh, how awesome is this law? And that's we'll get to that later. But it's just something that, um, you know, I I think here, he yeah, would it be great if they just trusted him? Yeah, but I I think this shows the this shows the humanity of how this is a real the, like this is a legit story. Mm-hmm. I mean, otherwise, why would you not paint? Why would you not paint Moses to be like, oh, he was just always faithful, you know, and mm-hmm. he was always for sure of what God was going to do, and that's yeah. just not the case. That's just not the case. That's not what any of these people do. They're always like really frustrated with God. They don't understand why God's doing the things that they're do- these doing, and they're it's very human. Mm-hmm. And it's just like they're really struggling with who God is and why he's letting this go and why he's not immediately doing something about it. And again, it's just highlighting that honesty, I think, that Moses has with Yahweh. He doesn't he doesn't believe. You know, he's he's kind of lost it. I mean, there's no he's just he's basically like, there's no evidence, you know, that you're gonna do what you say you're gonna do right now. And um you know, you had an opportunity, you didn't take it. So what? So what? And so I, I think it's just showing the humidity, humidity, or humidity, <laughs> the humility um, here um, of the moment, you know, and just recognizing, I don't, I don't know. It's just, I think it's just showing the humanity. That's the word I was actually going for, not humility. It was humanity of the moment um, with Moses and less like showing us that he's a real person. You know, he's a real person that really struggles with what Yahweh is doing or not doing. And so just the same, we can struggle with that too. Let's approach God with it. Mm-hmm. Let's go to God with it and let's let's talk to him about it. And we may not get the answer that we want. And mm-hmm. that stinks sometimes. And God is still, I mean, he's he's still saying, I'm here for you. I'm going to do something about this. And eventually, and it, it, like really, I guess next chapter, we're going to see him really start to take action. 
Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it's it's going to happen, and he's offering them reassuring words. But I, I, I do think it's kind of like... I don't know. I have I think a lot about the parenting parenting relationship with kids too a lot mm-hmm. now that when now that we have kids and just when I'm reading this of just you know um especially at the end here with verses 12 and 13 um like he's Moses is asking again like you know why would he why would Pharaoh listen to me since I don't speak well and uh, the Lord responds with just like, basically ignoring that question is just like, uh, just go bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Yeah, he's like, I don't, I don't think you heard me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did I stutter? <laughs> you know, like, you know, um, it, it, it's just go, just go do it, dude. Like, just go do what I say. I know you're frustrated. I know you're frustrated. Go do what I say. And, uh, and so I, I think that that's where we are in it. It um, just, it just, I go back to thinking about times where Caleb will ask us something over and over and we're just like, go. Yeah. Just like, be quiet. Go to your room and go to sleep. <laughs> I have, I have tried to use logic with this child, but you cannot use logic with a four year old. You know, it, it just doesn't work. Unless of course it's something like he's using. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wait, you made a logical error, daddy. Yeah. You know, yeah. then then he can use logic. But whenever I'm trying to use logic with him, he's like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. It. And then you're just like, go to bed. But that's kind of like how God is in this situation. He's like, I've already told you, you have Aaron with you. I am going to speak through you. But yeah. like, you don't need to worry about the yeah. fact that you can't speak. Like, we've already worked this out. Right. So I'm not even going to address this. Yeah, but you know, in a time of trouble, it is it's showing how we tend to go back on previous things mm-hmm. and how we return to that in those excuses. And um and yeah, it just it, it's really frustrating in just showing how how human these guys are. Really I think are. it's just a reminder that sometimes like we like we really need God has so much patience for us. We really need to be more patient with God. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it is a relationship. Yeah, and I think that you know, he's he's constantly trying to reaffirm us, and we just have doubts because we can't see that bigger picture, the bigger timeline, and so it 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 really is a. A lesson of patience. Yeah, this is how Peter ends ends this com- his commentary on this section. Here is no evidence of M- Moses's humility, but of his continued inability to see past the end of his nose. So it's just like he can't, you know, and just that's not. Again, it's it's narrator puts his arm around you of like, look at how how little Moses can see. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's just so frustrated all the time. Yeah. And you look at yourself and you're like, man. I can't even see past my own nose, just just like Moses. I can't, like, great, you know, God is doing awesome stuff, and uh, it feels like we can't, we can't even take the moment to sit on it and wait on it and see that it's happening, and wow, you know, remember that burning bush thing? That was awesome, yeah. you know? And, or really, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. We say, like, God hasn't really taken any action, but he did provide signs. Yeah. I mean, like... Yeah. It's not like... We're so quick to forget it. Even in the narrative, yeah. even as we read the narrative, we forget narratively this happened a chapter ago. <laughs> you know, like two chapters ago, we were standing in a burning bush. Yeah. Um, and so it's so we're, we're quick to kind of forget that too. But I, I, I do think, I think he's bringing them down all the way to, the, to, to rock bottom. And he's about to, to flex his muscles here with Pharaoh. So he can see, he can show like, it's not Moses. It's not Pharaoh. It's not the Israelites. No, this is this is me. And you're going to come to know me. Everybody here is going to come to know me one way or another. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that's what that's what's happening here. So he's he's about to bring that. But the story is just abruptly interrupted here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Part of the reason Garrett read first today yeah. was so that in our rotation he would get to do this lovely. I, I, yeah, so buckle up. Uh, here we go. Uh, try to keep your eyes open. Uh, I want to be. I want to be honest with the scriptures. I want to read them. 
but you know what? Some things just aren't fun all the time. <laughs> and But we need to understand them. You yeah. know, we need to try to tackle them. We need to try to go after them instead of just skipping over it and being like, well, that was that probably should have been thrown out of the Bible. So here we are. <laughs> we're, we're, um, we're rudely interrupted from the narrative as we're trying to figure out what Moses and Aaron are going to do. It's like, here's a genealogy, right? Yay! Okay. So... These are the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, are Enoch and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon are Jumael, Jemuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jachin, and Zohar, and Shaul, and the son, the son of the Canaanites. These are the clans of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their genealogies, Gershon, uh, Kohath and Marie, um, and the years of the life of Levi were 137 years. And the sons of Gershon are Libni and Shimei, uh, according to their clans. And the sons of Kohath are Amram and Izhar and Hebron and Uzael. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133 years. And the sons of Marie are. M- Mali and Mushi, and these are the clans of the Levites according to the genealogies. And Amram took uh, Jochebed, the aunt, his aunt, for himself as a wife, and she bore for him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years. And, and the sons of Izhar and Korah and Nepheg and Zikri, and the sons of Uzael and Mishael. And Elzaphan and Sithri, and Aaron took Elsheba, the daughter of Amminadab, the sister of Nashon, for himself as a wife, and she bore to him, or bore for him, uh, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithramar. And the sons of Korah are Isar, and Elknah, and Abisaph. These are the clans of the Korites. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, took for himself one from the daughters of Putael as a wife, and she bore for him Phineas. These are the heads of the families of the Levites, according to their clans. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this this section, it really frustrated me when we were reading through this, the first, uh, when we were studying this chapter. Uh, just because I don't know, like, I don't really recognize any of these names. There's no, like, I feel like it's easy to read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many names in there that we recognize, and it seems to really add meaning of, like, these broken people that are part of Jesus's lineage. lineage. And um, it just kind of helps make sense of things Mm -hmm. and so when I read this and I recognize so few names um like I recognize like Reuben and Simeon and Levi because those are like the help me the oh I mean they're so they're the the main yeah I'm sorry yeah the the, the the sons of Levi are the this is the priestly line right so you've got all you know like there's a, a few names that I recognize but obviously most of these feel pretty meaningless to me and so I'm just like why is this placed in here at this point in time and you know it just is kind of confusing to me I am only really going to say one thing about this section that and Garrett has read some things and studied some things that help will also help make more sense of this but the one thing that I that um probably helped me the most um is the fact that this is putting this is showing that Moses is in the line of Levi and therefore like he's an Israelite mm-hmm. and he belongs here. Yeah. And when we've we've talked about the past several weeks of how he feels like just an alien, he's in a foreign land. We've talked about how he was an Israel born an Israelite, raised by Egyptians, moving to Midian and being with his Midianite family that he's never really felt like he had a place. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like. Right. Um, where, you know, Israelites basically were part of the reason why he, you know, they weren't, they weren't 
maybe the reason why he fled because the Egyptians were too. But you know, I mean, he did. He didn't really have anybody on his side right. when he was here last. Right. You know, he no. The Israelites were like, "Why are you getting involved here?" And you know, the Egyptians were like, "Hey, you killed one of the Egyptians and buried him in the sand. That's a problem, obviously." Right. Um, and so. For someone that you've gone through to feel like he doesn't have a place and that might be part of why he's questioning his role here, um, to kind of show, yeah, uh, Moses, you do belong, especially after he has just asked, you know, like, I speak with faltering lips. It's like, no, like, that might be true. That might not be your strength, but you do belong in this like yeah. you belong in this role. Yeah, and so and, and I mean he's asking the question, who who am I? Right? Yeah. And now you get to answer, this is who you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, uh so I, I think there's just a few things to note. I don't know how much it's gonna be it's gonna pull on you with this, but genealogies they tend to happen whenever there's a shift in the narrative. So or or this is there's something about to happen. So one example would be like Genesis chapter eleven. Um where you have the genealogy right before Abraham or Abram shows up on the scene and you have a change. You have a change in the narrative where it focuses in on one group of people now where, where it's been focusing on all of humanity up to that point and now God's going to work through this one group of people. And so everything slows down in time um, when you get to that point. So that that's an example. Whenever you see these genealogies, it tends to be like a... a a story change or a narrative change, something's going to shift. And so I, I think, I mean, right now what we're seeing is God is rolling up his sleeves and he's about to get to work. And so he's had enough of Pharaoh. He's let him do his worst and now he's going to do his thing. And so we have a shift in the narrative. We have a shift in something, something big and bad theologically is about to happen, you know, and it's going to, it's going to alter everything that they know. And they're, they're going to come to know God at a deeper level so that this kind of breaks it up and shows you something's about to change. Um, another aspect of it, so you, whenever you start reading this, you expect that it's going to be uh, a, a genealogy of everybody because it's like a Reuben, you know, and then you, you talk about um, uh, Simeon. These are the first two sons of Israel, and then you get to Levi and Levi really drags on. It's like what, but you then you expect to go on to the next one. I mm. think it's Judah. Uh, Judah. It doesn't continue to Judah. So what? What's going on? And it's it's specifically honing in on the Levites um, and the different clans of the Levites, different the sons, the different sons of Levi. Who later in this story, whenever they set up the tabernacle, um, all the Levites are going to end up being the the priests and they do all the priestly duties. The line of Aaron would be the ones that would be the the high priests. They would be the ones being able to actually go in and do the, the things the high priest would do. But the other Levites, the ones that aren't in the line of Aaron would be doing all the other regular priestly duties, taking care of the tabernacle. And they would actually, they were the ones that immediately surrounded uh, the tabernacle. They would have, there were four different sections of them. You know, Gershon was one of them. Uh, Kohath and uh, Mirari, like Ferrari, Mirari. Um, I probably said it wrong entirely in every way that I've said it. But anyways, they would surround the tabernacle and kind of be the the go-between for the rest of the Israelites and the presence in the tabernacle. So anyways, it, it, it's setting them up as this priestly line. And then also... Uh, it's setting up the pedigree of Moses and of Aaron. Not not just Moses, but Moses mm-hmm. and Aaron. They're going to be both the ones that go and do this. Uh, this is what um, Peter Enns writes here. Hence, the repetition shows that the insertion of the genealogy here is purposeful. What is the purpose? Verses 26 through 27 provide the answer. It establishes the pedigree of Moses and Aaron, or perhaps more accurately, of Aaron. Both uh, are of the tribe of Levi. Um, and Aaron is the older brother. Um, seemingly, because he's placed first in the narrative. He's placed first. But the chosen, the one that was originally chosen is the, the little brother, which has been also a trend in all of the things that we've done. I mean, uh, Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob is 
you know, the younger brother. Esau is the one that, that's older. Jacob's the one that's chosen. Um, and so that that ten, tends to be what ends up happening in the story. We kind of get that happening here, too. Not that Aaron's not a part of it. He's very much yeah. a part of it. If, if not, he's kind of the one that does does all the stuff later. Yeah. Um, and is the spoke person, spokesperson for Moses. Um, so it, it's highlighting, I, I think I think it's looking... Um, and, and highlighting that aspect of, of what's going on. So Yeah, I just think it's, I I sort of, the more I look at it, the more I kind of feel like it's kind of a footnote of like, you'll need this later too. Yes. Of just like, with what you're talking about, like with the tabernacle and like, I don't know, I just think, I've never really thoroughly studied the book of Leviticus. Mm-hmm. And I think that this would, I bet this same you know, genealogy is listed there too, you know? Um, Yeah. And, and so, and and all this is important for how they're going to dwell with God. I mean, this is the whole purpose of this is not to necessarily execute divine justice. Mm -hmm. The, the purpose of this is for them to know God and then for him to dwell in them and dwell among them in, in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then eventually in the promised land because he's fulfilling the covenant, he's taking them to the land. And so the whole purpose of this is dwelling in and among them in the land and fulfilling the covenant, and um, and so I I think that's an aspect of it. Would so to in to end this kind of genealogy section, it says by the time that we get to the end of the genealogy, Aaron's pedigree is firmly established, and the stage is set for the series of encounters with Pharaoh that will eventually lead to the release of the Israelites. So it's just showing these guys are important you know they're mm-hmm. part of they're part of Israel and like you said i think i think that insight that you bring to the table with moses is awesome because he has been like an outsider and now all of a sudden we have this genealogy that shows no he's an insider and he's part of this group and he's going to lead this group mm-hmm. ultimately and uh and giving his pedigree as well as Aaron's yeah. um, to do their work and to be their representative as a god so, you want to All finish right, this so section? I'm going to finish the chapter. Yeah. Uh, in verse 26, It was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Yeah, so I, I think you're, you've got these bookends, basically, yeah. of this genealogy. They're surrounded by these two scenes. They're not, they're not separate scenes, I don't think. I think they're the same yeah. exact scene. It's letting Probably you, just like picking back it's up. It's picking back like, up the narrative. Reminding and, and you remi- where we yeah. were. Yeah, and, and so it's, it's repeating where Moses is in this situation and that he just feels totally hopeless and he feels like he what am i able to do and the point is you're you aren't able to do anything mm-hmm. on your own you are not able to do anything it's through my power and so he's about to remind him of that uh and remind in in bringing all this out and so I, this ends the way it began um to let you re- and remind you of um of the I guess of of the the narrative before you move on. Um, yeah, it's just it like like the last chapter. It kind of ends on just like abruptly. This, yeah, yeah. It's like really is this the end of this chapter? Like I I'm not really sure how they t- divided this up because yeah. you know. But I mean, it's just it's just kind of interesting to just it it makes you want to keep reading really. Yeah. Um. But uh. I really like in verse 26 and 27, which I think you're um, little, mm-hmm. uh, you were hinting at earlier of just, it's really emphasizing it was this same Aaron and Moses. And it, yes. it was, it, it says that twice of just like really emphasizing that this, this Aaron and Moses that were just mentioned in the genealogy here, these are the, these are the same people that I'm going to use now. Yes. And like he's being very direct about that. Yes. There's not some other Moses. It's not some other Aaron. It's the ones that are listed right here, and that they have a purpose. And um, I just think that's really cool. Yeah. And so this section, um, to kind of wrap it up here, um, the 
the whole of this, I think, I can can be um, discussed like this. Okay, these sections are summarized as a second conversation that Moses has with the Lord, paralleling to the certain degree, to a certain degree, the previous conversation between them at Mount Horeb. So we see a lot of the repetition, everything mm-hmm. that we've, the uh, of you know, I'm going to bring you out of the land. I'm going to fulfill the covenant and all of that stuff. Both conversations pertain to Moses' claim to be insufficient for the task that has been given and God's promise that he will indeed be with him. Each closes with a confrontation with Pharaoh. And this is, that's what's going to happen following this. There's a confrontation with Pharaoh. Um, yet the second conversation is not merely a repeti- repetition. This, after all, follows Moses' first failed confrontation with, with Pharaoh the purpose of this section is to move us further along to the realization of God's plan of deliverance. And, and it does so precisely by drawing out, reiterating, and nuancing certain elements of the first conversation. So the, the whole point is that, yes, all of this sounds the same. All of this sounds like a, a lot of the same things that God's doing. But as he's doing it, he's further nuancing his relationship with Moses. He's telling him, I, you're going to know me at a deeper level than, than Abraham did. You're going to know me at a deeper level than Jacob ever did. And so as the conversations go on, they get closer and closer. They're growing deeper with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it's this repetition that the Hebrew Bible uses over and over and over again to, to further to give you a further revelation of who God is and what, what he's like. And so I think that's the way that we're meant to use these passages, not be bored by the repetition, but to look at the repetition, love it. And then also notice the differences and why are they different? What, what is it that he's saying here that he didn't say before? There's things that he's repeated and that's awesome, but there's also things that are different. And he's saying that uh, you're going to know me at a different level. You're going to know even more of me than what they even knew. And just the same, me and you, we're able to know God at a different level even than Moses was able to know him because we have Jesus, because we have the re- the, the full revelation of God in that we can know God at a more personal level than Moses because Jesus gave up everything for us so that he could be in relationship with us and so that he could not just dwell in a tabernacle in, in the, the wilderness, but he can dwell in this tabernacle uh, that that's me. That's my body. He can he can dwell in you, as his tabernacle, and we can we can have this complete and full relationship with him that Moses never got to have. 